Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. Table Church exists to invite people to the way of Jesus. We do that by living on our four core values, pursue God, create belonging, do justice, and make disciples. So join us for four weeks as we focus on the things that we are called to. In this series, we are learning what these core values mean to us and refocusing ourselves on what matters most. As always, if you need anything at all, please check us out at tablechurchdsm.org, or you can reach out at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. God bless, and thank you for listening. Good morning, church. Uh, My name's Ivy Sprague, um, and I've been part of Table Church since, you guys remember we had a thing called a pandemic? (laughs) That's when I found this community. Uh, And I've been part of the hospitality team, uh, part of a table group. And one of my favorite things we do is called the crafter's table, the first Saturday of every month. And if you're super lucky and you show up, Diane might have cranberry orange scones. Um, But it's the coolest group of ladies you're ever going to hang with. Um, And it's really emblematic to me of what Table Church is, just a community that welcomes you. Uh, So if you want to get connected, if you just kind of roll in here on a Sunday and you don't really know anyone, Raise your hand to serve, and whatever team you join, I promise you will be welcomed, you'll be connected, and man, are you going to be loved. So with that, uh, I'm going to share this morning's scripture, which is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for coming and welcome to Table Church. We're so glad you're worshiping with us here today. Um, I want to begin with a question, and it's simply this. What do you want most in life? And I don't want the Sunday school answer. I don't want any answer at all. This is rhetorical. But I'm not asking you for the Sunday school answer here. Of course you want Jesus, right? Uh, But no, like what material object do you really, really want? (laughs) Is it a new truck? Um, you know, is it a new house? I'll tell you what I really want. I want a cottage in the woods with a fireplace where I can read my books. That's all I want. My wife wants a lake house. She grew up boating and we don't do that as much anymore. Uh, the wise men she married into aren't really boatmen. I, I don't know anything about it. Um, but that's what she wants. And so What do you want in life? Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting a cottage in the woods and a lake house. The question is, what do you want the most? According to St. Augustine, the Christian life is about what he called having properly ordered loves. Properly ordered loves. What that means is that we are to love things in the appropriate amount and in the appropriate way. When our loves are not properly ordered, our desires are not properly ordered, that's when we have a dysfunctional soul. It's where we love something more than we should or less than we should or in the wrong kind of way. That's what Augustine says it looks like. That's what dysfunction is. Now, I want 
this church to be a church where it is abundantly obvious that we want God more than anything else, that we love Jesus more than anything else. And so that when somebody comes and visits here, I don't know what else they're going to say, but what they say is like, oh, those people are like kind of weird, like how much they want God. Like they are desperate for the, for the tangible presence of God in their midst. That's what, we, that's what I want to be. But here's the thing that I want you to see today. It's that in order to want the right things, we must first be honest about the things we do want. So what do you want? I've been asking this question about Table Church. What kind of church do we want to be? Not kind of church we should be or need to be. What kind of church do we actually want to be, you know? Like in our hearts of hearts, like below the words we say, what do we actually want? Now, I can tell you what, the words are, this is, this is how it reads, our mission is very simple. We, we exist to invite people to the way of Jesus. We exist to invite people to the way of Jesus. We use this language purposefully because, because the, the life of following Christ is not just something you believe in your head. It's a way. It's a verb. It's, it's a thing you live out. And so we invite people into this because we believe that Jesus holds the keys to life. And the way we do that is we have these four core values. They're, they're pursue God, create belonging, do justice, and make disciples. Now, um, you may not know those four core values, but actually they're printed on the banners in the back of the room that we walk by every week. So well, go ahead and turn around and look at the banners in the back of the room, would you? And let's just say them out loud together, starting with pursue God on the left. Here we go. Pursue God, create belonging, do justice, make disciples. Those are our core values. And did you know that everything that we do at Table Church is organized underneath one of those four things? It's helping us accomplish one of those four things. Now, we arrange our approach to ministry kind of using this metaphor of these four directions. And each, each core value has a direction that it's correlated with. And I think that if you want to do like a spiritual pulse check on yourself, uh, one, way, one thing you can do is you can ask yourself, am I moving in all four of these directions? And so here they are. Pursue God, that's up. That's like worship. That's our vertical relationship with God. That's pursue God. Create belonging, that's down. That's where you plant yourself in a community of other believers and you're there for them and they're for, they're for you and you're not leaving and you're not moving and you're with them through thick and thin. That's, that's a crucial part of discipleship. You gotta be planted down. All right, and then you've got out. That's do justice. Are you taking the gospel with you into the world, the reconciling and healing message of the gospel into the world through your actions and through your words? That's out. And then we have back. That's make disciples. In other words, are you turning around on your journey and seeing people behind you on the journey towards Christ? Maybe they don't know Jesus yet. Maybe they're baby Christians. Whatever the case, they're behind you on their journey. Are you helping them? Are you making disciples? Are you moving them toward, helping them move towards God? And so we have these four directions that we talk about sometimes. And, uh, and I think that the important thing to know is that as a follower of Jesus, you're never done. There's no finish line on any, any of these things. But are you moving? What direction are you headed? That's the most important question. Today we start with the first one. We start by moving up. So we're going to talk about pursuing God today. We're kicking off a new series called Focused, uh, remembering the things that we're called to. Uh, we're going to be talking about these four core values for the next four weeks as we kind of dig into the things that we think that God has called us to be. But again, the underlying question is we can repeat these words all the time. The question is, do we really want this stuff? And so I hope that this series is going to awaken a desire in our hearts 
to not just say the right things, but actually pursue the right things. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul has just finished rattling off his rather impressive resume. Uh, He had an honorable ancestry, he had a high position as a Pharisee, and he was faultless in regards to the law. Those are his words. In Paul's world, he was a big deal. He graduated with honors from an Ivy League school, and he landed a job at a top firm. I mean, he was crushing it in life. He was going places. And he says this in verse 7. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Or sorry, for the sake of Christ. He says they were loss. Now, for Paul, there's no earthly achievement that could compare to knowing Jesus. And notice, not only do these things pale in comparison to knowing Jesus, he, he actually considers them a loss. He's not saying that stuff just doesn't matter to me anymore. He's not saying, um, you know, my stance towards them is neutral. <laughs> He's saying, no, that stuff's a loss compared to Jesus. He goes on, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It isn't just his accomplishments that he considers loss. He says everything, everything. He says it's garbage compared to Christ. That Greek word for garbage is the Greek word skubalon. It's very fun to say. I invite you to say it with me. Let's go. Skubalon. Say it again. Skubalon. The, one of the most reputable Greek dictionaries defines it like this. Skubalon means dung, filth, or refuse. That's the word that Paul's going for here. Now, I've heard some suggest that this word, it's like the ancient Greek S word. It's a swear word like that Paul is using here to describe this stuff. That Paul maybe is actually kind of like, like swearing in the Bible. Whoa. Now, I don't know if that's true, okay? I'm not saying, I'm not like putting my stamp of validation on, I don't know, how would I know, right? But I've heard it and I've read it and I've seen people say it. So here's my only point by bringing that up. If it's true, I hereby give you pastoral permission to use this swear word, all right? This is the only one I'm gonna prove. Next time you stub your toe, you can say scubalon. As long as you remember that feeling you feel in your toe right now, that's what all your accomplishments are compared to Christ. Okay? Parents, run it by your or kids, run it by your parents first. Scubalon. Officially approved swear word is table church. But again, as long as you remember, like when you, whatever it is that's frustrating you in the moment, as long as you remember that that's what your greatest accomplishments are compared to knowing Jesus. Now, in order to want the right things, we must be honest about what things we actually do want. So like I said at the beginning, what is it that we want? Do I want Jesus? Do I find myself hungering for God? Do I see all this other stuff, the cottage in the woods, the lake house, all of my achievements, whatever it is, do I see it as scubalon compared to knowing Christ? How does Christ, how does Jesus rank on the list with the cottage in the woods or whatever it is for you, the new truck, whatever it might be? See, I worry that, that for Table Church, I worry that for us, we might fall into the trap of wanting our faith to be reasonable. We want a sophisticated faith, you know, one that is nuanced, <laughs> one that can speak insight and wisdom into the pressing issues of our day. You know, the best sermons I preach, the ones that I probably get the most affirmation on, it's like sometimes I'll like pull out this 
deep textual insight. And it's like, ooh, that's interesting. Never knew that before. But then we can all walk away having, like, knowing something we didn't know, but not being particularly changed, you know? We want our faith to be interesting, thoughtful, reasonable. But let me ask you this. How often does Paul come across as a reasonable guy? Look what he says, verse 10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's not reasonable. You're not going to go to work tomorrow. Your coworkers and cubicle mate or whatever is going to be like, hey, how was your weekend? Good. How are the wife and kids? Good. Uh, you know, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just really want to attain the resurrection from the dead. Oh, cool. Like, this isn't how it goes. It's not reasonable. Paul's not trying to sound sophisticated. Paul is a man who knows something that the rest of us don't. He knows that Christ is so much better than anything else that he's even willing to follow him. He says, into suffering. I want to know him in the fellowship of suffering, participa participation in his sufferings. You know, if Paul were here today and he could come visit Table Church, here's what I think he could maybe say to us. I think he might say, hey, you guys need to beware the soul-sucking voice of reason. There's nothing reasonable about any of this stuff. Paul believes that through Christ he'll be raised from the dead. He's not being metaphorical. He believes there's an actual power and life, and miracles, and peace, and joy that come through knowing Christ. And he thinks that's the most important thing in life, and that whatever's in second place is a very, very, very distant second. And so it means that spiritual hunger is about wanting God more than we want anything else. It means being willing to let God dictate the terms of our lives. Sometimes that means that we have to get a little bit less reasonable, you know? Here's my, my point today. It's this. If you want God in your life, you must want God in your life. You know what I mean? If you want God in your life, then you got to want God in your life. You don't get to just pick and choose. Some people will say, well, yeah, of course I want God in my life. But once they realize that wanting God in their lives means like surrendering everything to his will, once they realize it's not just like the power of the resurrection, but also participation in his sufferings, like, ah, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't want God in my life. Maybe I just wanted the blessings, but none of the other stuff, not the surrender. But that's not how it works. If you want God in your life, you got to want God in your life. A while back, Pastor John Tyson, he's a pastor in New York, he did a series on uh, renewal. It's called God Comes Where He's Wanted. You should, if you ever never listened to John Tyson's sermons, you should go listen to that series. God Comes Where He's Wanted. Now, he had this moment that really stuck with me. Now, he, he's a preacher who has oriented his whole life towards seeing renewal and revival happen in our generation. That's, that's what he's obsessed with. It's what he's studied. It's what he's just like oriented his entire ministry towards, it seems. And, and he said this. He said, look, I've studied historical revivals. I've studied revivals in 18th century England and 19th century New England. I've studied what happened in the Hebrides in Scotland in the 1940s on Azusa Street in Toronto. More recently, the outpouring in Asbury. He said, I've tried to find a common thread through all this stuff. Like, what's the revival button, you know? What's the secret sauce? Where's the revival switch? 
How does this happen? He says, but they happen in all different times, in all different contexts, in all different places. Sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on Calvinists. Sometimes it's on Arminians. Sometimes it's on Pentecostals. Sometimes it's Reformed people. Sometimes it's Catholics. Sometimes it's among the wealthy. Sometimes it's among the poor. It falls on the young. It falls on the old. But he said, you know what the common thread is? It's simply this. God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. That's it. If we're looking for a necessary ingredient, there's just one. God comes where he's wanted. Sometimes wanting God looks like John Wesley riding thousands of miles on horseback to take the gospel to people that need it. Sometimes it looks like a couple of old ladies in their 80s on their knees all night in a barn praying for their village. That's how the Hebrides revival started. It happens when a holy discontent starts to stir within a people, or maybe just one person, I don't know. The pain that they see around them drives them to their knees. But you know what the number one thing that drives them to their knees is? It's always a discontent with themselves. The prayer is always, God, bring renewal and start with me. It's when the desire for the power of God in their lives eclipses their desire for position or for respect that's the moment that all the things that you've clung to, all of your achievements, start to look like scubalon compared to the glorious light of being found in God, in Christ, as Paul says. Now, there's a word for that feeling, that sense, that moment of, oh God, I need to change. Lord, help me. That moment of realization where all the stuff I've been clinging to or chasing, the habits I've been hiding, the false wisdom I've been believing, like none of this stuff is going to satisfy me. I need, to get, I need something else. And I'm finally willing to humble myself before God. The, the word for that moment of clarity is, is contrition. Contrition. We see this word in Psalm 51. It says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. That's a remarkable sentence in the middle of the Old Testament, by the way. You are not pleased with burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. There it is. You, God, will not despise. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated contrite can mean crushed. The psalmist is saying, if you want God, that's, that's where it starts. This is what I mean when I say, if you want God in your life, you've got to want God in your life. It starts here with contrition. But listen, it's hard to want God if you don't think you need God, isn't it? Listen, the reason why the church in the Western Hemisphere is shrinking, I read a, I read a statistic recently. It said that in the last 25 years, more people have left the church in this country, then came to Christ during the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and the Billy Graham crusades combined. The last 25 years, 40 million people have left the church. And of course, there's all sorts of things we could point to about that. But here's what I would say. If what we want is a church that is not impotent and weak, if what we want is the manifest, tangible presence of God in our lives, like what it seems to be the case in other places, in other times. I'll tell you why we don't experience it 
that we wish we did, I think it's simply just comfort. It's just comfort. It's because even though we might believe in God, deep down we don't always really think we need him. And I'm not saying that we don't experience hardships. We do, I do, and you do. I'm just saying that a lot of times we have other ways to cope. And what this means is that we avoid contrition. We avoid repentance. We want to keep convincing ourselves that we've got it all together. And to repent, that's, that's by definition to admit that you don't. Now, one reason, there's a song we've been singing, one reason I really like it is because it actually has contrition in it. It's the song Light of Fire. And it says, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me for when I have grown cold. It's hard to think of many songs we sing that talk about that sort of thing. You know, like songs that actually say, God, I'm sorry. I remember the first time we ever sang it, I was like, this feels strange. <laughs> so many of our songs are like, oh God, no matter how far I run, you're always there for me. You'll always love me no matter what I do. And your victory and your power are in me and stuff like that. Which is great and true, right? But we never really sing songs of contrition. I wonder why that is. Yeah, but here's the thing. Spiritual hunger starts with contrition. It's where it all begins. It starts by saying, look, all this stuff I have, the sinful habits I cling to, all my accomplishments, they're all lost. It's all scubalon compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Break me, God. Crush me. Conquer me. For you, it might start by coming forward for prayer, for intercession time. A church that is, listen, a church that is spiritually hungry, it will not have problems with that. Like, it will just happen. There will be a prayer mosh pit down front because we are hungry for the presence of God. That's how we know when we've broken through. We talked earlier about how comfort is the enemy of contrition. And one good way to fight comfort in your spiritual life is to be vulnerable. And one way to do that is to ask for prayer. Now, we just opened a prayer room. We've had it going for a couple weeks, and many of you have come taking an hour slot. It's beautiful. I just think that God's forming that in like a sacred space. Like, it's really, really special what's happening in there. If you haven't signed up yet, you've got the QR code. They handed them out with the connection cards, I believe. We've, we're doing it for another week. Just scan the code or click on the link in my email. I've sent it out a bunch of times now. Um, sign up on the spreadsheet. Make sure you have the right tab, the one that's labeled the correct week this coming week. Uh, we'd love to see you in there. Maybe for you, it's right now. It's just like, I need to find a time where I can get away from all my other distractions and responsibilities and turn off my phone and all the people in my life know they can't bother me for this one hour. It's a perfect place for you to do that, for you to get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I need you. The way I've been doing it just ain't, it ain't working. It ain't working. That's what a spiritually hungry church will do. You know, spiritually hungry church probably ain't rolling in consistently during the third song. Like if you find it easier to be on time for the dentist than you do for worship, you might not be spiritually hungry. None of our other core values mean anything if we don't have this one. If we don't have this, we're not a church. We're just a social club that does nice things. So let's not ignore this one. Everything hangs on the question of whether or not we will be spiritually hungry. Whether we want to pursue God. Whether we actually want God with us. If you want God in your life, you've got to want God in your life. You've got to want all of it. It starts with contrition. So where do you need to invite him in? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to get on your knees and say, God, I'm sorry for where I've grown cold. 
What area of your life is not pleasing to you, God? And listen, when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that moment, sometimes we confuse it for guilt. I'm not sure those are the same things. Maybe they are, I don't know. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will put his finger on something in your life and you're like, okay, uh, that, that needs to change. It's the word we use is conviction. Uh, sometimes we avoid conviction. We don't want conviction. We think it's a bad thing. I don't want to feel bad about myself. And so, you know, we don't ever kind of put ourselves in situations where that, that might be the case. But you want to know what's good about conviction? Conviction means that God is speaking. Conviction means that God is moving in your life. Conviction means that he is here, that he's alive, that he's active. It means that God is for you. How cool is that? Conviction is an honor. We should be joyful when we feel convicted. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's awesome. So lean into it. Let God search your heart. God, say, I want you in my life. If you want God in your life, you have to want God in your life. And so today, I just want to ask if you need to repent and you need that contrition and you haven't felt it in a while, you've just kind of grown numb or cold or you're just like, ah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, maybe it's just like condition for so many, you know, years of coming in out of church. You think you've kind of done it all that before and you've been there and done that. Or maybe it's just the fact that like, quite frankly, we don't really talk about it very often. We don't talk about sin very often. Don't talk about the fact that, you know, maybe there's something wrong right here. We don't sing about it very often. And maybe today you're just being reminded, no, I need God. I need God. This is a chance for you to return to the joy of his salvation. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you're not a Christian. This is a chance for you to become one. And so I'm gonna just give us a moment. Would you just close your eyes with me? We're gonna sing a song in a second, but first I just wanna meditate on this passage of scripture. It's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And here's what it says. Search me, God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm gonna do that again. Now you've heard it once. Now your soul can kind of pray it along with me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, whatever the way everlasting is, that's what I want. And so, Holy Spirit would give you permission just to point to whatever it is, put your finger on whatever it is, Lord. That you're saying, I want that. I want to take that from you. Would you give it? Would you surrender it? Freedom awaits you on the other side of that. Just let go. God, would you forgive us for our sins that we might know the glorious truth that when Jesus died, it really was sufficient. It really was enough. Today, if you don't know Jesus and you would like to follow Jesus, 
I'm going to be down front during this next song. Come talk to me. Or you can circle across in your connection card, whatever you want to do. But take that step. And God, I ask that you would give people, whoever needs it, the courage to take that step today. That they might know that you're with them and that you love them and that we're with them and that we love them and there's nothing to fear. So God, we give you this moment. We give you our hearts. Crush us. Break us. Use us. We want you.